Hello and welcome to the prologue episode of a new season of Normandy FM. Uh, a show that was once a Bioware retrospective, but is now kind of just a general retrospective. And we are transitioning into that with this season. So before we get into the nitty-gritty, the details, the first episode and all that, um, myself, Eric Van Allen, alongside my co-host, Ken Shepard, wanted to do kind of an intro to get y'all acquainted with kind of our approach with this one, with our thoughts, with what we're going to specifically be looking at, uh, especially in comparison from previous games to The Last of Us, and kind of what our thought process is going into it. So, Ken, do you want to just kind of lead it off? Yeah, sure. Um, so, for context, uh, I think anyone that, like, that even... There might be some new people coming into the show right now, because, I mean, the audience of Mass Effect and The Last of Us is not necessarily one-to-one, and so... I think it's fair to assume that maybe you might be have started listening to the show for the first time here, and that's t- totally valid. Hi, hello. Um, so, if you don't know us, I kind of would like... I wanted to have a bit where we could kind of talk about our personal history with The Last of Us without a... Like, kind of, you know, like you said, like, where our heads are at going in. Um, so for me, anyone that kind of, like, has ever followed my work knows, like, The Last of Us is, like, one of my favorite series and games. The first game is the one that I kind of credit with getting me to decide to, like, switch my uh, career trajectory into, like, writing about games instead of, I was a music major at the time. So, coming back to it now, I want to kind of, like, examine, you know, what exactly is, like, the long-term uh, kind of effect on the on the medium that The Last of Us has left, because it is often kind of propped up as, like, you know, a very, like, a, an important milestone game. Um, but, as I said when we were talking, you know, a few episodes back about kind of, like, what our mindset going into this game was... Um, I kind of feel like the conversation around the game is a little reductive in spaces, and I would like to kind of, you know, examine it more thoroughly in terms of, like, you know, a lot of people talk about The Last of Us, and it's like, oh, the story is great, and I was like, sure, but as a video game, and, like, something that exists in the space, like, what does The Last of Us do with, be, you know, the tools of being a video game versus, you know, a more uh, traditional story-driven medium, like television or movies or books, um, and kind of like how I felt playing the first section of The Last of Us that we're going to talk about today. Um, the game is, I think, in 2021, remarkably unremarkable in a lot of ways. And I think a lot of that has to do with it being, you know, like a trendsetter for like a very specific type of AAA game that uh, it would go on to kind of inspire. And like, you know, there is like a distinct era of like Sony, especially that's like before and after The Last of Us. And I think... From that perspective, like, kind of talking about it as a sort of foundational thing, I think it makes it very interesting, but I think more so, like, in, in previous seasons where we talked about Mass Effect Dragon Age, there were, like, you know, the first games of the series that we, uh, struggled to get through because mm-hmm. of various mm-hmm. ways that they were dated. Um, I don't think that The Last of Us is dated in the sense that, like, it is miserable to play, but I do think Part 2, Last of, Last of Us Part 2, was very much, like, had an understanding of, like, some things about this game needed to be modernized and, like, kind of, like, in terms of, like, the actual, like, playing of the game, but also, like, philosophically in terms of, like, its approach to storytelling and also the t- the kind of story that I think it really uh, put a focus on, especially, like, uh, from, like, within Sony, but also just kind of AAA games in general. Um, so I think it's, like, so 
despite the fact that like the last of us part one and part two they're both kind of like held up as like these really uh important award-winning video games i think that doesn't like despite all that like they are very divisive as well like and i think the ways in which they are are kind of fascinating i think there there is some extremely bad faith bullshit that we'll get to primarily in like the opening hour of last of us part two that we will kind of dissect when we get there but that is sort of my thought process going in right now like i want to examine what makes the last of us important and what i think it does uh what i think it achieves and what i think it also kind of fails to do on a lot of fronts mm-hmm. yeah for me um I'm, I'm coming at it from a different angle from ken um I so my history with The Last of Us is that my I remember my roommate in college uh, had a PS3 and I remember him getting it and playing through it and I would sit there and I'd watch him play through some sections and stuff like that when I was working on homework and all that and um, I I think I played some like played some of the game I remember like one part where you're sneaking around with a bunch of uh the fungal enemies you can see how much i already know about the game's lore um and uh played some of the factions multiplayer which i thought was really interesting uh, i thought that was a really cool thing that they did but ultimately just kind of feeling like ah, oh, this this game doesn't seem like it's for me and I, I looked up uh just being in like the game's media means you kind of need to be aware of some stuff at some level so at some point i had seen some various cutscenes of the game, including I think at least one character death and the ending of The Last of Us Part One, uh, mm-hmm. but I didn't really know much else beyond it. It's like okay, it's Joel, it's Ellie. They're they're taking a big trip across the U.S. I knew I knew about the intro. I'd seen the intro before, um, and I knew about the ending. And that was that's that's really about it for Last of Us Part One and Last of Us Part Two. Obviously, um. Uh, I I know a little bit more about that in terms of like, oh, I know what the plot structure is. I know kind of what the big twist of it is and all that. And I know, you know, the character deaths and such. But I ultimately came at it with a feeling of, and and maybe this is just kind of the games I enjoy versus don't enjoy, but like, uh, they just didn't seem like games that I would ever enjoy. (laughs) Um, So if Ken is the scalpel the learned hand with a scalpel that is kind of dissecting this thing and taking it apart. I'm a little bit more of the hammer in this one. <laughs> um, I, so like full context by this point, um, I've already played the first section of the last of us that we will be talking about for, for the retrospective. And I'm surprised by how dated it already feels mm. um, and how of its era it feels. Yeah. Um, you walk into an arena and it might as well just be God of War or God of War, uh, Gears of War, the other G.O.W. <laughs> um, like you can see that era of cover shooter influence happening, but also some of those ideas like the fluid, um, not really sticky cover, but like more malleable cover and stuff like that, like things like that. But um, overall, I I've always seen this series as an extremely a mixture of like just trying to be as depressing and sad as possible like having a very nihilistic take on things Mm. and then turning it around at the end with like oh but it's okay because things can be good in the wasteland and we can make them good even though everyone dies around us so it's like nine hours of torture and grief porn and then like one hour of feel good um to kind of 10 hours huh yeah, uh, uh, I mean, look, 
it's an example but um and and i think the other thing is that especially around the last of us part two i was really confused by some of the discourse because um a lot of the things that the game does that like like story-wise narrative-wise at least that were considered like oh my god they're doing this as wild i was going like this has kind of been done before uh this is not really like anything incredibly new and i think that's kind of where i'm coming at with the last of us is that i feel like it's a prestige game but i don't know how fresh it feels it just feels like the it's made of a quality it's is certainly made of a quality is there's a lot of hard work that's gone into making this thing and i'm interested to see for me really um if below the broad strokes there's something more happening there um Mm. Because I think that's, for me, with a lot of video games, that's the that's the key to getting me to like a video game is that uh, the broad strokes can be whatever you like. The big story points can be whatever, but are there like just moments in the game that can stand out a little bit more? Are there interesting nuances and touches? Do do different parts of the game feed into the ideas that they are trying to set forward beyond just the cutscenes? Mm. Um, the number of cutscenes I've seen already <laughs> in The Last of Us Part One is maybe not setting good expectations in that regard, but um, it's interesting because it definitely feels like, and, and I guess this can kind of go into our our next bullet point that we have here that we're we're set to go through. But like, this is very much if it wasn't the one to break ground i think the one to really break ground for like the idea of a sony prestige game was probably uncharted 2 um but this was the one that certainly solidified it and also as as ken notes in our in our notes that we have up here like this was also the start of the kind of the dad game and Mm. the brooding male protagonist game you know drake nathan drake was like very cheeky and indiana jones and stuff like that whereas joel resonated for a reason and then a lot of people started to make joel types right and i think that was something that like you think about like the chronological order of like the kind mm-hmm. of games we associate with the dad era the last of us wasn't even necessarily the first of that because like you know that was like the walking dead uh like telltale's walking dead bioshock infinite last of us like you know those were like in the course of like i think like six months like the, the first season of the walking dead was over and then like a couple months later infinite and then then last of us and i think like I think in terms of the game that takes probably the most clear, like, direct influence from Last of Us, I think it's probably 2018 God of War. And I think that is something that's inter- interesting to me in terms of, like, realizing that character, like video game characters need to be more than just, like, a, the, the sort of, like, arbiter through which you engage with mechanics and, like, making Kratos, like, actually realize, you know, like... The carnage of the God of, God of War series is something that I think that, that the 2018 game, uh, on the list of things that are, are not uh, great about God of War, I think in terms of, like, reckoning with Kratos' psyche and, like, having mm-hmm. been a violent person is, like, what, the one thing I think that game kind of, like, pulls off well because it does it not through trying to, like, exonerate him, but, like, by making, like, shame and trying to protect his image in, like, the eyes of his son is, like, something that is more effective, but it also, again, like, there is a lot of reasons why The Last of Us Part 1 and games like God of War don't resonate with a lot of other people, because, like, that they are very, uh, of a very particular perspective. Um, 
but I do think, just like personally, like I do really enjoy a lot of like the, the uh, more uh, prestige Sony games. Like I you know, like Last of Us is obviously up there, God of War is up there, but also like Infamous started to take uh, note of this. Like Second Son is like a, a fraught game for a lot of reasons, but it did in terms of like a level of production and uh, character work was a little like was certainly elevated past like Infamous One and Two. Um, so. And then, in like, you know, Horizon Zero Dawn has that same, like, sort of, again, like, this, not imitative of film, but just, like, an understanding that, like, this all, like, the story and the characters cannot be simple backdrops anymore. Like, there is, like, mm-hmm. a sort of, uh, like, I, like, again, I don't think in terms of a lot of things that The Last of Us Part 1, like I said, it is remarkably unremarkable but by this point, but that is because it was sort of, like, the thing that pushed people, like, even... Uncharted, like even Uncharted Four, like started to, like had to be like, well, granted, Uncharted Three like had done does a little bit more character work with Nathan Drake, but I think Uncharted Four was like the point where they're like, okay, no, this needs to be the more introspective, reserved version of the story and this character because people are paying attention to these things in AAA story in AAA stories in ways they weren't before, and I think Last of Us, on that level, did propel the medium forward in a certain way that is divisive, as I said, but in a way that I prefer, just personally, as a person that prefers the game when they're story-driven. Mm. I, for me, like, the the thing that I come back to a lot, and I guess when I play games a lot nowadays, I think about this, but um, I think in media in general, it's really easy to just, like, I don't know, it's, like, depressing stories. Like, not I'm not going to directly compare this to The Walking Dead, but I think there are some, like, comparisons to be made in terms of like the storytelling in terms of oh you run into a gang of humans who have turned into a militant group to survive Mm. and you don't want to have to kill them because they're humans but they're going to kill you so you have to kill them and you have to kill like a person Mm -hmm. and even in in the parts of the game i've played already like there's a lot of you know you 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 are pulling a guy back from stealth to strangle them in the darkness so they don't get spotted and he's like pleading for his life and stuff and i think a lot of those are are supposed to make you feel like oh you know this is this is bad why are you doing this This is a bad thing but um it's also a game that's like presenting that to you as like this is the path to move forward right um and and that's something that like i mean games have been reckoning with forever like people even prop up spec ops the line which is one like i go back to all the time and that's also one where you have to commit atrocities to move forward Mm. and um i think like it's going to be interesting looking at how the game really copes with that because i think that's one primary criticism i've heard a lot especially the last of us part two is that it criticizes your violence very often but then it forces you into it at the same time so there's not really like a win there's not like a feeling of earned um remorse there's more like a feeling of well hey i wasn't going to be able to progress this game unless i killed this dog and now you're mad that i killed a dog like what do you want from Mm. me video game so my and my feeling on that and i think that it's something that especially like looking at last part one and part two together as like a singular cohesive thing which i think is Mm -hmm. fair to do and i think is kind of like it's, the actual yeah, way to engage yeah. with the games just because like they are very as one and in a way that most AAA games don't get to be and I think this like it says 
it says a lot about like video game storytelling. I th- that I think the way that part two work the way part two works so well is that it is very like it's put, it's putting its fingerprints on things that happened in part one that I think a lot of people up to the point the game came out did not realize that it was going to actively engage with. But uh, what I I my my mindset for the sort of like feeling that people have that like the game is criticizing you for engaging in the violence like says a lot about the way that I think people put thing there's like a obviously video games are like an interactive medium so like there is a tendency for us to look for ways that we are able to express ourselves through them and engage with them in ways that are beyond you know other medium but I also like and you know that was even like a huge thing that we talked about throughout the Mass Effect and Dragon Age series and I think that's something that mm-hmm. Bioware itself that like they are you know to varying degrees depending on which game we're talking about like they allow the player to insert themselves into that universe and engage with it on their own terms to me I feel like the last of us especially in it's like the first game in its very final moment and part two like makes this whole, like as the game built upon that like there is going to be an almost like antagonistic tension between you are not this character and i think that to me is like something that i think is a more interesting way to engage with it in terms of it affects my relationship with the character that i'm playing and like i feel that tension of like maybe i do or don't agree with the things that they're doing that I think from like a, a almost metatextual perspective makes it interesting to me to like watch people talk about these games in a way that is like, Oh, I felt judged. And I was like, literally why? Like why? Like what? Well, cause like, you're still the person that's holding the controller though. Like it's, it's still like, I, I think that points to like why video games are so different in this apart from things like the walking dead or like if you watch a movie where somebody has to make these tough choices or you're it's starring an anti-hero that that delineation is is much clearer to make because you have you are not directly inputting the things like the game is imagine if in a movie right when something like terrible was about to happen to character it was like, okay, now person at home, please press three on your remote to continue murdering this person. Like, that's what a video game is. And that's, you know, when it, when it creates those situations where progress is determined by those things happening, it's, the game does tell you in one way or another, like, this will not move forward unless you do something. So I think even if you are playing a character, I do think it is important to have that distinction that this is not a role-playing game, this is a or this is not a role-playing game in that you are creating a role and becoming a role that you have created in your own mind, but you are a, you are playing the role of Joel. You are playing the character Joel. Um, you still have to be the one that keeps hitting, keeps turning the page, you know, the, right. it, and the interactivity is, is what creates that friction, I think. But I do think that, like, in a game like The Last of Us, where you are not, you know like you're you're not making choices you're not doing there is like a level of play acting like you are literally like like you said stepping into a role in a way that you would like on a stage play or something like that and that's why I feel like and, and we'll get to this you know especially in part two and I think the final section of part one is that like it feels weird to me to like kind of like take away from these characters stories and their arts and like the way that these stories go and like what we can take from them by trying to insert ourselves into that and like into stories that we don't really have place in and like you know whether that is making use of the medium is like a whole other conversation but i think yeah it is especially strange to me the way that like that and i and to be and just like to be clear i don't think that the games themselves are what has spun this narrative up. i think it was like a lot of marketing stuff like there is like there are quotes that from the part two uh 
marketing campaign where Neil Druckmann was in there saying, like, oh, we can make people feel guilt. And then, the, like, I played this game, and I was like, Ellie is doing all these things, and all this stuff is happening, but, like, that doesn't have anything to do with me. And that's why I think... It is maybe why I have a more positive uh, reaction to uh, the themes of Part 2 specifically, that I don't feel, like... The, one, I don't feel the game itself, like, the actual text of The Last of Us Part 2 is engaging with me as a human being in any way. But I also just, like... I don't know, like, I, I, I think there is, like, an insistence on a lot of people talking about video games to insert ourselves in, like, an almost egotistical way to, like, be like, oh, what does this... What does our actions in, in this game that is not... that is completely linear, that does not have choices, that does not have alternative ways of progression... The insistence to, like, put that on us, I think, is an interesting tension, but I also think it is not something the game itself was ever really saying, but it was something that a marketing team was trying to push forward. And also, like, and, you know, we'll get into this more with Part 2. I think conversations around Part 2 were largely set by a marketing team that was not speaking about 66% of the game. Yeah, yeah. Like, there, there were issues, especially around, like, I'll also say, like, just the general discussion around Part 2 was hindered by this weird obsession to not discuss parts of the game and not discuss, like, Mm -hmm. something that happens literally maybe a third of the way into the game, I'd say. Like, is that that about right? Like, the the swap out happens Uh, about... Probably, maybe like a halfway halfway point, probably. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Like... But but that's you know that's still like a very solid chunk of the game and right. there was such an effort to right. not discuss that in the name of spoilers and stuff. But yeah. I think and also like just to like also quickly jump into that like yeah. the marketing of the Last of Us Part Two ended up spinning narratives into that game's uh, like discussion around that game with story beats that the game literally never engages with in any meaningful way and like. Mm-hmm. You know, there was like a wariness in that game, like in say queer spaces, because Naughty Dog's marketing team like was very much like, okay, we're going to obfuscate the truth of this game in ways that make people assume something is going to happen that literally doesn't happen, and that is a whole other fucking mess of things. Yeah. And I I think the the other thing like that you brought up that I think is interesting to talk about that is like kind of a separate discussion but worth having is like. this is not the only linear narrative game lots of games are linearly narrative there aren't a lot of games that rely on choice in the way that mass effect and dragon age do and that's going to create some interesting differences for us between you know the previous seasons we've done and now where we've been making choices and talking about how it presents those choices and things like that but now i think it gives us an opportunity to say like okay what does like like what sets this game apart and i know this is like a ridiculously like this argument gets used to like shit on things like visual novels and stuff like mm. that so this is not the direction i want to go with that but um like what does this do in the game's medium mm. that makes it important that it's a game or or why is this a story that has to be told as a game versus other media and i think it's worth talking about that because like the the kratos thing i always thought was interesting because th- yeah everyone talks about the scene where he goes in, in in god of war 2018 he goes back to his hut and kind of pulls apart the floorboards and pulls out his old chains and he's going through that whole sequence where he's 
almost hearing like his past you know terrors in his mind and all that and the whole way there you're having to like paddle back to your hut and it's very solemn and you're having a lot of these like flashbacks and stuff and then you go outside and you immediately have to start fighting with the chains it's this it's it creates this cool contrast because on one hand you're like oh damn this is sick kratos has his chains back oh hell yeah and then also like there's a new weight that's on them as you're using them like you are suddenly so much more aware of what it means for kratos to use these again and like it draws attention to the fact that he was intentionally not using them before that he was avoiding using them even in situations where he was fighting massive monsters and you know people were in danger and stuff like that he was still reticent to use them i think that's a way that games can even in a linear story communicate Mm -hmm emotion communicate storytelling communicate character information through gameplay and so that's what i'm really interested to see with the last of us and that's why i brought up like the little moments way at the beginning was i want to see if the last of us has that because all i know of the last of us is these big story moments and cut scenes and stuff like that Mm. and i'm interested to see if naughty dog can has i should say has um created the moments like that like like other studios have because again my like my naughty dog experience is i've like i've played pieces of uncharted and the last of us never a full game all the way through and probably no more than what you would like call a discrete section or level at any one time um and i've mostly just been aware of those games through cultural osmosis Mm. uh the last naughty dog game i played all the way to the finish was jack (laughs) three so um this is a studio that has changed a lot since the time that i used to engage with them and i wouldn't call jack and daxter the pinnacle of Mm. prestige storytelling as much as i enjoy jack two i i do enjoy jack two a lot jack three a little bit but um i do enjoy jack two a great deal but it's I'm interested to see whether that happens because I think that is a thing that games have started to struggle with again and started to try and as they got deeper into the prestige storytelling thing, there came a moment where it was like, um, we need to remember what it means to have stuff communicate through gameplay and not just, you know, Mm. story scenes. Um, Mm. And I'm, I'm interested in seeing that, you know, there's a long, history of that sort of stuff i was thinking about final fantasy 6 the other day and and the ending i guess like the last like eighth of that game i'd say like after the big fight with kefka and all that and people who play that game know what i'm talking about but um like just the way a world can communicate things to you um it's I'm, i'm going to be interested to see that because right now it's what i've played so far i'm like okay cool yeah this is definitely like made of quality but i don't know that's doing anything that is compelling me on but i'm only like what like a tenth of the way into the game so far (laughs) so um yeah this is exciting though like this is i mean once again this is a season where ken has played through the subject material knows it intimately i am not as familiar we're gonna have a lot of guests on i think the plan right now is to have a guest for every episode Mm. Yeah, um, it did occur to me. I was listening back to some stuff, and we did say at one point that the last of us was going to have a third share. Is that the whole thing? Plans yes. didn't work out. Like scheduling didn't work. Uh, so just 
if you notice that, like, the, 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 like, the alternative that we wanted to do is just have somebody new on every time. And, like, mm-hmm. people have, like, varying different experiences and a lot of, like, uh, a lot of conflicting, c- contrasting opinions on these games, so. Yeah, I think, and we've been, I, I feel like we've been fairly straightforward about it, but again, since this is a podcast episode, you might be listening to us for the first time. Um you know, Ken and I have our own individual cultural backgrounds and, and our own, you know, like ways that we approach things and lenses through which we view things. But there are always so many more ways to view things. Obviously, we're both dudes <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, we're both white as Hellman's Mayo. So uh, we like to try and bring on as many people as we can to expand those viewpoints. And so I feel and and largely through ken um a few of these were were some of my suggestions but a lot of these were through ken um we have a really excellent like i'm looking at the list right now and we have a really excellent group of folks lined up to talk about all these different uh pieces of of the last of us and last of us part two from different backgrounds speaking on different topics bringing in their own kind of um, understanding of the text, their own background, their own history with the uh, with the series. So our goal is to have a guest every episode. We're not announcing any of those guests, and we're not confirming anything because stuff changes even with our perspective third chair that is not happening anymore. Uh, stuff changes all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, for now, we'll just say that we have a lot of excellent people lined up but um we're looking forward to it we hope you you are too so one of which you're about to hear because this is going in front of our pilot episode yeah yeah i think the plan is to have are are they are they going to go live at roughly the same time or i'm I'm gonna i'm gonna like put this episode and then put like an interlude and then start the full episode so oh excellent this this is the pilot you are in the pilot of the last of us right now this will be a big old double feature then so for those of you at home uh welcome to the last of us season of norm dfm and we'll see you right after the interlude Hello and welcome to the very first official episode of Normandy FM's The Last of Us season. Uh, if you're listening to this right now, I believe the way that we're editing it together is that this is a double feature. So there is a short prelude before this where Ken and I were discussing kind of our own personal backstories with the series going into this. Uh, but for those of you who skipped ahead, bad, bad, don't do that. Stop that. That was that. foundational. There was a point to it. Yeah, we do that for a reason, damn it. <laughs> but as always, I'm Eric Van Allen, joined by Kenneth Shepard, and today we are also joined by one John Phipps. How are you doing today? Wait, who's that? I don't know who that is. What? Is that me? Is that yeah. me? Yes. Oh, okay, right, right. God, I Got it. So. Okay. Really you suddenly, oh, made, me, oh, you suddenly me. made me worried that I like mispronounced your name or something, <laughs> and I was like, oh, God. <laughs> no, no, no. It's... It, it's been a while since I've uh, since I've been with you guys. Uh, I think the last time, uh, like you said uh, before we started recording, was Mass Effect Two. Like yeah, two years ago. Something. Yeah, it's you know, or you know, ten. Um, you know, I think twenty twenty <laughs> counts for at least five years. Okay. So. Yeah. 
we've all aged quite a bit, been through a whole lot since then. A great deal, yes. Are you still wearing the... Um, Ken, are you still wearing the uh, the infamous beanie? Uh, yes. All right, we're going to do something about that, because I, I wear that a lot, too, and we, mm. we can't have two of us roaming around. I thought, so. you, I thought you wore the Gungeon beanie. I you know I I, I you know what I I, I like to be versatile. Mm, okay, that's that's fair. I like to switch it up. That's that's what we got to get you. Can I don't wear like I like I got this. I got a lot of like snapbacks like that. I thought I was like okay if I'm gonna go bald, I might as well like you know make it like a fashion statement and you know really mix it up and I just, they they fit on my bedpost and I just don't ever actually wear them. You could rock a snapback. Like I've seen you in real life multiple times, and you could definitely rock a snapback. I could see it working. Maybe one day. It's starting to get hot again, so maybe I'll take this opportunity to. You know, mix it up. whenever whenever cons come back, um, let's for one of those days that we're there, let's just let's just coordinate mm-hmm. our our clothing. That way, you can kind of just walk around and be my mini me. Big fan of this for the convention. <laughs> Big fan of this. <laughs> I'm just picturing that meme that's like, don't talk to me or my son ever again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mm. You could just, you could just, you could run around and uh, you could run around and just like bite people. And I could say, I could say, me, me, no, no, we mm. don't bite mm. on convention goers. No, <laughs> we, do, we do not gnaw on convention goers. Mm. Wait, can I that... to all those now? So I don't think I'm going to be biting anybody. Oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> And hey, The Last of Us, the game we're playing for this, is teaching us that uh, biting people is bad. Okay, mm-hmm. and it spreads yeah, fungal infection. It's it's mm-hmm. a bad idea. Um, before we get into that, John, how would the folks at home know you? What what would they know your work from? Well, um, most people know me from uh, Super Deluxe Gamescast, which is a gaming and uh, nerd culture podcast uh, that I helped start a few years ago, which has been going very well. Um, and you probably have also seen my work. I've written a few articles for uh, uh, GameDaily.biz, uh, Polygon, and uh, IGN. Um, and, of course, nobody has gotten mad online about anything I've written. Never, never. Um, not, yeah, everybody was very content uh, about my <laughs> Call of Duty article. Very happy with it. Um, and uh, I, you probably see me on Kind of Funny. I was on Kind of Funny once, which was a great time. Uh, and yeah, other than that, you can just find me walking around conventions. Just look for the big yellow beanie, the big handsome muscular guy in the big yellow beanie. <laughs> the one looming over everyone. I, I, I yeah. respect it because like as a fellow tall person at conventions, I always feel like I can easily spot you in a crowd because we both just kind of like stick out from, from yeah, the I'm, populace. I'm a large, I'm a large man. It's, 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 mm-hmm. it's easy. It's, it's not, it, it's, it's not hard to miss me. You know, or I'm sorry, it's very hard to miss me. It's not, you know what? I'm tired. <laughs> we had we, we all we lost an hour on, of our day. Yeah, like that's messed up. That I don't like this whole hour jump forward. Like my my hot take, if we're gonna start the podcast with this, is that we should just keep backing it up by an hour, and you know, eventually we'll all be nocturnal. But then we'll get back to daylight eventually in another twelve years, and I'll be fine. Like. <laughs> Mm. Let's just keep backing it up an hour. I think everybody should get a free hour of sleep twice a I year. I actually, I like the sunlight coming back, but that's just me. Mm. I mean, once once we get past the initial few days, it get it, it gets to normal again. But I'm just saying that one day where we lose an hour is real bad, especially. Oh, I'm still struggling like for sure. <laughs> I'm I'm struggling. Yeah. I saw that clock turn over, and I was like, "Uh oh, 
I just watched an hour go away. Well, plus it's always confusing because my 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 phone does it automatically, but the rest of the clocks in the house I have to set manually. So, oh, like, and I always forget to do that. So, mm-hmm. like, that first day really screws with my equilibrium. Yeah. I so I'm like, ah, it's only that. eleven o'clock, and then I'm like, wait, what happened? I'm, yeah. Stupid analog clocks that aren't connected <laughs> to everything in our lives. <laughs> that don't have Amazon and Google listening to them. Let's go back to a simpler time in Austin, Texas, of all places, where we start our story with The Last of Us. Um, actually, no, hold on. We should also do this, because we do this with Mass Effect and Dragon Age, so we should do this with The Last of Us as well. John, what's your history with The Last of Us, specifically? Uh, the Last of Us was one of my favorite games from last gen. Uh, of course, you know, it came out, uh, I want to say, like, five or six months before the PS4 mm-hmm. launched. Mm-hmm. Um, and a, a great swan song uh, for the PlayStation 3. Um, and I think, I think personally, uh, Naughty Dog's finest work. Mm. Um, you know, I, I, I've, you know, I've played it a couple times on PS3, and then I played it uh, a couple times more on PS4. Uh, you know, with that increased frame rate was really nice. Mm. Um, and, you know, as a dad... Uh, you know, I I was already a father when it came out, um, and uh, you know that that game, especially the especially the themes of the first game as opposed to the second game, really resonate with me uh, in a in a very very personal way, which I'm sure we'll get into. Mm. Mm. Well, we I mean we start off right away with like fatherhood and stuff because this game starts like about Sarah, who's Joel's daughter, and and like we open right away with her uh sleeping on the couch as joel's kind of coming in from presumably a long day at work arguing with his brother on the phone um and like we already talked about this in the prelude but i i've seen the intro a few times but i think i just never really like i've always known the parts where it's like they're driving and trying to get through the crowd and there's a lot of tension and then obviously the way the intro to this game ends but i always forget that the beginning of this game is like like very very beginning of this game is very very solid in terms of like building these characters up and having joel come in right away and established as this like single father loves his daughter very much he's a i think he's a contractor is is what he does something like that yeah Yeah, like it's kind of implied he works in in some sort of like contracting maybe like construction or something um or some other like works with his hands in some way um and uh they just sell this relationship between the two so strong from the start the way they kind of have this rapport right from the beginning um i always like in a game where you can establish a relationship without having to explicitly state it so like in a lot of other games you'd have joel come in and be like oh hey i'm the single father you know working hard to make ends meet and sarah's like that's okay dad i love you and like instead we just get like a very normal conversation between the two and it lets you intuit a lot of that stuff and and understand a lot from these characters just from the way they presumably daily interact um i thought that was really cool uh well, the dialogue. I mean, you, you know, like you know, part of this is the is the quality of the VA, but also part of it is the authenticity of the dialogue. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just uh, you know, Joel doesn't come home and just say, you know, hey, da- you know, hey, darling, how was your day? Oh, you know, it was good. Right, like, right. Like, like, like they feel like actual people. Like, you know, he says, how did you, you know, 
you know, how how'd you get the money for this? You know, and she's like, drugs. Mm. I sell hardcore drugs. <laughs> the way she you know, says is the most like southern, like drugs. Yeah. <laughs> I, love I sell it. hardcore so drugs. Mm. Yeah, it, yeah. No, that that part is really really well done. Right. She can start helping with the mortgage too. Mm-hmm. Nice, nice yeah, 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 yeah. Well, yeah, right. Like, you know, it really sells the. Uh, you know, it, it really sells the and, and as somebody who for the longest time was a single parent myself, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it really sells kind of like that that relationship that you have with your child when you are a single parent. And it's just it's just you and your kid. Now, you know, granted, <coughs> my son was, a, you know, was a lot younger at the time, but, you know, he and I had a much different relationship than than you know uh, a dad would have with this kid who you know s- you know is still in a relationship with his mother mm-hmm. um and and that was really apparent in the relationship between sarah and joel and i that's something that, that i think like i don't know I, you know i don't i don't know who wrote the script for that but i have to believe they had some sort of experience with that because mm-hmm. it was very very well done yeah and um, it's even well i was gonna say like they they don't have a whole lot of time for us to see that relationship in its purest form because stuff is going to get bad real fast. So, mm-hmm. you know, we started the session playing Sarah, and, like, it kind of was... The Last of Us was also coming out, like, when the sort of, uh, quote-unquote, walking simulator genre was becoming a thing, and, like, that uh, that term made it, like, had maybe, like, more of a derogatory connotation back then, but I think it's kind of been kind of reclaimed by now. And things as simple as, like, you can go up to, like, Sarah's, like, she forgot to give Joel his card, and it says, like, you know, just, like, things like, you're never around. You don't like you don't like the music I listen to, but you're still a great dad, and you're there for me. And I'm like, you know, like there's like a, I I, I appreciate that even in the short time, like Bluff doesn't get into like a lot of like sort of a toxic dynamics of like father daughter that can be like overprotective, like rooted in like really toxic mindsets, and like they feel very uh, at peace with one another, and like that is something that I think is something I appreciate now, like again, you know, like, because he is a single dad, it's like there is a lot of potential drama that they could be leaning into, but they just don't and I find that really uh, refreshing. Or they're not using it to, like, spice at the beginning. Right. Yeah, right. what were you going to say, John? No, I was just going to say, like, I, um... What the hell was I going to say? I completely lost my... It, it's that daylight savings time, man. It's completely screwing me up. Um, <laughs> I, what the hell was I going to say? It'll come to me. Go ahead, man. While you're talking, it'll come to me, I'm sure. I was just going to say, like, <laughs> it would be so easy to make that, like, an early conflict or to make that some sort of, like... Um, you know, I like that the beginning of the story really lets us like care about these characters and lets the conflict be the outside conflict that's sort of creeping in that happens mm-hmm. with the you know the gradual um, realization that something's off, that something's wrong. Like you know, we can find the newspaper in the bathroom that kind of hints at, um, hey, hospitals are being filled up because of an infection, and there's FDA is trying to deal with contaminated crops and. Um, we find the TV that's on in Joel's room, um, and um, it's it's like a TV news broadcast, and and obviously gets cut off by an explosion that we see out the window, and that's that was a really cool moment. Kind of that was a me. really cool moment. Mm-hmm. The explosion happening on yeah. the TV, and then yeah, that was that was a really cool little uh, little moment of duality there. Um, I mm-hmm. yeah, I, I love I love stuff like that. It's, it's that moment where it's like you see it on TV and it's one thing, but then it also happens like in a place that you can physically see from where you're standing. And it's that suddenly like it's that recontextualization that, oh, this is not just something that's happening. This is something that's happening 
in a close proximity to where I am as a character, and it immediately, like, elevates that event without really doing anything else. It's just giving you so much more context for, oh, this is not a thing that's happening off in the distance in a different place. This is happening here right now. Um, And it just kind of, like, continues. It's it's almost weird. Um, I'm glad in here, Ken, in your notes, that you mentioned stuff like um gone home and and walking simulators at the time and stuff because this opening segment actually gave me to the point where i was trying to remember when gone home came out because um it it just has those vibes of that like all of a sudden a house which is supposed to be that place of like safety of refuge of um like normality that you can rely on becomes scary because of the absence Mm -hmm. of something because of you know not just that all the lights are turned off and there's things happening outside, but also the lack of something inside, the lack of other people can make a house feel alien and distant and scary. And I feel like this gets that really well. And it uses dynamic lighting and it uses kind of the slow walk speed of Sarah with how you're rounding these corners that you can't really see around or anything. Like it's, it's amazing how like a house can be so scary (laughs) in a game. But I was like, it's not really like you know it's not scary in the way that amnesia is scary but it is like drawing out some of that dread of like am i going to round a corner and something's going to be right there Mm. um eventually we do get to a point where joel shows back up again um joel comes uh well first we find his phone and there's a bunch of calls and texts from tommy again that's that's a character that we're about to actually spend more time with but for now we've just kind of heard tommy on the other end of a phone uh we know that he's joel's brother and that's about it um obviously we can tell from from the phone and from the phone call that happens at the beginning of this this scene by the way that i forgot to mention uh where he tries to call on the phone line gets cut off but um you can tell that they have a close relationship that tommy is obviously involved in, in Joel's life and in Sarah's life, so we get that sense. There's also something. There's very clearly something wrong, um, because yes. yeah, I think there's what like, f- like, something like ten or twelve missed calls yeah. and mm-hmm. a ton of messages mm-hmm. on Joel's phone. Uh, mm-hmm. And do we know where? Like, so Joel, we know that Joel left the house, and then he comes back in. I don't remember. I don't remember if we ever found out where he had actually. I gone. think the implication is that he just kind of went next door to try and figure out what's going on. Because when he comes back, he's running from the. Coopers. Oh right, 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 right. Um, oh, also, there's a there's a dog barking through most of the segment, and then you hear it like yelp and stop and stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's like, I think that's the moment we're really like. Again, we're talking about this idea of things are happening in the distance. You know, you read a newspaper about something that happened somewhere far off and then you're watching a tv news broadcast and you see the explosion but it's still pretty like closer to the city which by the way is austin from what i understand <laughs> so this was a really weird segment for me uh living here in austin mm-hmm. um but it's still kind of an explosion that's kind of off in the distance and then the dog yelping is like you can almost feel that like, like danger closer. yeah getting closer and closer and, like, like there's the cars also like drive off as you're walking yeah. down the stairs and there's there's a lot that I think I think this intro is just really finely crafted. Like mm-hmm. there was there was a lot of intent in everything that happens, and the fact that it happens as you are kind of walking around and interacting with everything just kind of adds to it that 
you know they they adapted for this to not just be because I, th- I think that's something as we get further into this game i think there's a lot of cutscenes in here um mm. the further the further in we get especially in this segment and i was really enjoying this early part of the game because there wasn't as much of a reliance on cutscenes. It was much more like right. you are experiencing it all in one go. Uh, very God of War 2018 before right, God of War yeah. 2018. <laughs> yeah. Um, Joel Joel runs in and slams the door behind him and starts pulling out a gun and loading it and says that the Coopers aren't acting right. Something's going wrong. And then Jimmy Cooper... Uh, basically breaks through the glass door and looks you know as we colloquially understand it infected um and joel shoots him before he like you know rushes at them and sarah is pretty much in in shock out of this sarah's in shock sarah's in shock say that five times fast <laughs> um and uh you have this moment where joel has to basically like calm her down and be like things are going wrong things are bad i need you to like get a hold of yourself because we are going to get out of this we're we're leaving um and that's when tommy shows up with the car and they all get in and start peeling off down the road um and this was kind of a a like this this was the moment where things have like really turned because i think before this there was like that existential dread of oh things are bad out there but they're not really happening and then once jimmy breaks through the glass door like we are now suddenly in it and as we're driving down this road by the way all the road signs very accurate i could immediately tell where they were in austin based off of the road signs and stuff and so i can tell you that if i am correct and that was southbound i-35 down to san antonio uh it always looks like that that's not really an outlier (laughs) that's that's pretty common uh you know fires and panic and stuff you know that's just traffic jam. that's just that road yeah <laughs> uh finally i get to use austin local based humor in this podcast <laughs> um but uh that was the part that was really getting to me through all this is now we're in the car and it's much more you know quote-unquote on rails you know we're just kind of watching things as they happen as we drive by and um we have Sarah kind of just in shock for the whole time, like, you know, kind of coming to a realization that like people are dying, that people she knows have already died, that there's not really anything, any sense of safety at this point, Mm -hmm. you know, like we've had the home, the, the place of security and refuge, like, you know, tarnished (laughs) by a death in there. And now they're just trying to flee. Um, it is weird that they kind of portray this as it, it wants to be both like a suburb and a rural area. And like, while this area of Texas is definitely has its rural areas, I feel like they make the jump a lot between being like, Oh, this is a suburb. And also like, Oh yeah, this is, um, this isn't the city or whatever. The city's different. I've never heard anyone refer to it that way, but uh, whatever. I almost stopped nitpicking. I'm <laughs> very well, yeah, Texas I, I guess, things. <laughs> I, I guess, like, my, my question was, like, I guess it's a, a way to just kind of, like, make the sort of, like, the nature of the area that this is, like, understandable to people that don't live there more so than it is to be accurate. I, I think, yeah, I think there's obviously, like, a condent, 
like a condensation of space happening right. here because like the further obviously the further out you drive from any city the more rural is going to get and they wanted to kind of get the point across that while joel lives in a suburbs type area um as they're driving past that barn that's on fire and stuff um they're like oh yeah that was just somebody we knew or whatever and um I think that was to stress that maybe Joel and and Tommy feel more more kinship to the folks that are out in the rural areas. Maybe work with right. them more often than they do with anyone who's actually in the city. Um, right. And they don't it, like. And that was it, kind I, of, like they they don't live out far outside of the city proper either. Um, like they're 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 pretty no, close no. to like you know they're out in the suburbs, but they're also pretty close to to downtown Austin. But then again, I mean, you know, Eric, you live there, so I'm not sure. They're, they're definitely, like, I could I could suss out a general area of where they are, like, probably South Austin, um, down Congress a fair, a fair bit. But, mm. um, that's just my guess. But, uh, that, and definitely as you drive from there, you will start to get further and further out, and you'll start to see more of those roads. Like, the the T intersection where you, you they drive up to it and you see a highway sign pointing one way and like a, I think a farmer uh, farm to city market road the other way and it's just kind of like pick which one you want to drive to. Okay. Um, that is the most like for some reason that reminds me the most of rural Texas that you come to a T intersection and it's just like which which main road do you want to drive to because this is basically just a barely paved road that is going to get you to one of the main roads that was a very rural area sort of thing and i was like oh yes you can tell they at least did like there was definitely some location scouting there was definitely Mm -hmm. some effort put in there to try and create an area that looks correct uh even if they're obviously like condensing what is probably about 45 minutes worth of driving into like five minutes <laughs> mm-hmm. um but uh ken you have an interesting note here as well about so like we as as we are driving along on the road uh there's a family who's trying to get their attention they even have a kid with them and uh joel stops him from pulling over and you had a you had a note here that you wanted to mention something about this yeah, so, okay, this is something I think we'll have to kind of reckon with. I think I more across the, uh, both games, but also I think it's more relevant, I think, in terms of uh, part one than it is part two. The sort of uh, criticism that, or not even necessarily put towards The Last of Us specifically, but more like post-apocalyptic fiction at large, the idea that, like, society has fallen apart, but, like, there is, like, this uh, idea that it has a very, uh, like, nihilistic pessimistic view of humanity and that like when shit goes bad like ideally people would be uh, more willing to like be helpful and uh, not be looking out just for number one and like just their families and I think that is something that maybe colors a lot of the way that people like engage with these games for you know for better or worse it's a very weird time to be like talking about kind of like how society and people as a whole react to crisis we were in the middle of a pandemic now, and, like, as I was, like, I even wrote in my notes, like, as we were, or as I was taking notes for this show, there was that video going viral of, like, adults teaching their kids to burn masks, and, like, mm. you know, we are a year into a pandemic that could have, theoretically, have been, a lot of harm reduction could have been done if people had been willing to do the bare minimum of, like, wearing masks, not going out, etc. 
So like mm-hmm. I feel like a weird tension because like I, I I get the inclination of people like not want to like engage in something that is that feels miserable that like feels kind of like it has a very uh, pessimistic view of people, but it is very hard to reconcile, especially right now with like realities and things that we are still dealing with, especially right now. Like again, like this is I didn't see a whole lot of like a play in the Last of Us in the middle of the pandemic because you know like any like takes or think pieces on that, but like it is something that like does. I, I do think about when I play this game right so, now. That is, uh-huh. <laughs> so I, I'd like to offer uh, kind of a, an interesting perspective on this as a uh, as a as you mm. know a, a father. Um, I can honestly say so. Like putting myself in Joel's shoes, right? Had I not had my child with me, then I can confidently say yes, I would have stopped and helped. Um, mm. I would have. If I had had my child with me, I absolutely would not have. Uh, and mm-hmm. I, you know, that 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 sounds self-serving and and harsh, but in, it, you know, in you know the 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 real truth is is that in times of crisis, I am not going to do anything that I think could jeopardize the safety and life of my kid. I'm just not going to do that. And you know, I can be, I can be as I can I can be you know I can live with you know the the pain and regret of having to make that choice for sh- like, 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 you know, like I understand that that is something that I will, ex- you know, that's going to happen, but you know, the, you know, the guilt of not stopping to help that family, but I don't know that they're not infected. Um, you mm-hmm. know, I don't know what they're into. I don't know if the, that father's going to pull a gun and take our vehicle. Um, uh-huh. if I've got my kid with me, I mean, all bets are off because that my child is, is my priority and you absolutely whoever you are, are not. And mm. I guarantee you right now, any other parent would nine times out of 10 do the same. Um, mm. And mm-hmm. so that to me, that moment to me really stood out because it's honestly exactly how I would have handled the situation. And I, I understand that, that, you know, people, people might say, Oh, John, that's cold hearted. Like, you know, and, there is an ele- there there is an element of cold heartedness to it, but I am not gonna I'm not gonna jeopardize the safety of my kid. That's my child, you know. And it's you know, I'm not doing this for me. I'm doing this for my kid. Um, so I I completely understand right. the the choice that Joel made to to tell Tommy not to stop the van or the truck. Right. Sorry, sorry. I mean, it's can you go ahead? Yeah, and I, and I was I was gonna say like without spoiling the future of these games, I think that, like, what, like, I, think, I feel like the goalpost of, like, what is good and what is right changes, like, both within the settings of fiction, but also, like, when you take into account, like, factors of, like, you know, like you said, like, fatherhood, like, having a child that you were caring for, like, do, like, atrocities committed in the name of, like, protecting someone that you care about, which is, like, that is, like, the thesis of The Last of Us, and and it is, it's, it's, it's interesting to kind of, like, see people, like, the way that people's perspective of, like, their own lived experience colors the like sort of ideals that they come into these games with, and like why things don't jive with them in ways that don't jive with others. And I think that's a very fascinating thing that we will be picking through throughout the whole course of this podcast series. But uh, yeah, because like that that is kind of like my sense was of the moment as well. Is that like I like Tommy was the one that would, like didn't immediately think anything of like uh, stopping to help these people, but Joel, the person that is the father that has the child in the back seat, is like no, that's like. Like and like, says someone else will come. It, but it, like we cannot risk. 
Well, and I also like I, I also want to stress that like if it's somebody I know and trust, then yeah, I'll help them if my kid is there for sure. Right. Um, you know, but but you know, if I don't know you, man, I am so sorry, <laughs> but no. Yeah. Um that that song from the Simpsons episode, the musical where they sing you can always depend on the kindness of strangers. Yeah. <laughs> going in my head the whole time. Um, but um I mean, I, I feel like this is a point that the game even reinforces because we go through this whole section where um, they're, they're trying to get away. They get into some traffic jams and stuff. Things are getting worse and worse and worse. And then we get T-boned and we have to abandon the car. And this is the point where we take control of Joel and, and we're carrying uh, Sarah, who has been harmed in some way during the the car crash. Her, um, it's presumed that her leg is broken. Um and as Tommy is kind of leading us and taking out infected that are starting to swarm into the crowd of people running, um, which by the way, Kit, I'm surprised that you thought this does a good job of funneling you because there are multiple times during this, um, this section where like a, a telephone pole would go down and I'd be like, you know, Joel could just get over, he could just walk over that. Like he could just get right over that. That's, that's not a big problem. Like that's, that's totally doable um there there are definitely some like ps3 era we're blocking off this part uh for you to walk here (laughs) yeah like there's oh these boxes look just a little too high for you to get over damn it this one lone steel drum is blocking our way we've got to find it we've got to find a way around we can't, ho- can't yeah it. no i understand it's only four feet high i'm sorry but but this the joel, we, we, we joel has been it. skipping leg day he can't yeah. really like kick it over oh, look i understand there's a there, there's there's a, there's a, there's a pile of of uh of can't chairs so, sanctity. like what i enjoy about the situation is so we spent a lot of time in the mass fiction dragon age seasons talking about like those two series like uh like comparing them and like how they play off each other this felt like a kind of understated but like obviously like the setting was very different uh, unstated version of like an uncharted set piece of like yeah, it, yeah it's, I could like, see that yeah. something like the plane scene in uncharted 3 like that happens within like the common action of the game but like you kind of have to react to things as they're happening to you like the cargo is all starting to like come at you and like you have to like react within like the confines of how Nathan Drake is able to move inside that world and you know like you you fuck up once and like you can get pushed out of the plane and Things like things like that, or like Uncharted Two, like when the building that you were in is like starting to fall apart, and you kind of have to, again, like you know, react with the tools that you have already been taught by this point, and so basically survive an action sequence from a movie, which I think that, like seeing what is a Last of Us version of that, uh, was interesting to me at the time, and I think like Part Two gets kind of like leans a little bit more into like more like, kind of over the top action sequences, not like the level of like plane falling apart and like you having to like survive that or like a building falling apart but uh, more like you know like a car like a car chase or something along those lines um so that was what i think was interesting about this is like kind of seeing how those uh design philosophies can be kind of like scaled down into something that's not like you know an over-the-top action thriller into a you know a more of a survival scenario yeah yeah um, and I feel like the the whole run through the crowd and the fact that there are all these people moving, I was getting a little frustrated at times because it felt like I was kind of running into things a lot and like kind of clipping around different people and stuff in a way that I felt should have maybe been a bit more organic and made it feel a bit more video gamey. Um, but eventually we get out of the crowd 
and we have this segment where again we were talking earlier about caring the most for sarah and all that um and as we're fleeing from all these infected um tommy basically bars the door behind us and says hey get out of here like get sarah out of here i'll meet up with you i'll catch up with you um where this is once again like i think this gives us at least a little bit of information on who tommy is because we have not really seen him much up to this point but now like our our first major like in-person interactions with him have been he him trying to pull the van over to get other people into the car to help them as well um and and then him being willing to kind of bar this door potentially Mm -hmm. sacrifice himself to get joel and sarah out of there um so that's not only is that kind of building on that idea of we are trying to save Sarah, we are trying to protect her first and foremost, but also like these characters are compassionate towards each other. Um, and sometimes in ways that are like Tommy is compassionate to a fault, whereas Joel is compassionate, but purely in the interests of Sarah. Um, we keep going, we keep going, we run, we run, we run. And then all of a sudden we get to the, as we are fleeing from infected that are pursuing just behind us, which by the way, is just really good at raising the hairs on your neck Mm. as, as you're playing this section. Um, a soldier shoots the infected behind us and we get to what is probably the most well-known cutscene of this game. If it's not the ending, um, where the soldier is kind of holding Joel and Sarah at gunpoint and talking to his supervisor. He's saying, we've got two on the perimeter. They don't look, infected what do i do and then he kind of raises his gun up menacingly and joel realizes what is about to happen and tries to turn his body to and 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 leaps to the side to try and save uh sarah from the incoming bullets and as he's lying there on the ground he he takes a tumble as does sarah um as he's lying there on the ground the soldier comes up to try and finish him off we hear a gunshot only it's Tommy, the MVP, shows up and shoots the soldier instead. Um, but then we have the the sudden realization that Sarah was shot. And as she is bleeding out, um, we have this whole scene where Joel is basically watching his daughter die. And then as, as she goes quiet and Joel just kind of sobs, it cuts to the title card. And so that's the intro welcome to the last of us (laughs) Um, yeah that was uh that was that was one hell of a way to kind of set the set the table for the rest of the game um and you know i think what makes it hit even harder from a player perspective is the fact that you just got done controlling Mm -hmm. um you know you were controlling her through the opening um you know and so you experience the beginning of the end of the world through her eyes, uh, through her persona. So to watch her, so I think she's what, like 14? Um, mm. To watch her as a little 14-year-old girl that you just got done, you know, guiding around, just get brutally mowed down and, you know, bleed out. I mean, whew, like that was, especially for, especially for me, who like, you know, as a father, like, you know, that that moment hit me incredibly hard and i had to put the controller mm. down for a second i was like wow they really went there um and uh because like i i gotta tell you i honestly was not expecting like i i wasn't convinced she was gonna make it but i didn't know she'd go out like right. that mm-hmm. and and i was just like man what a what a narrative choice Ooh, man Ooh, mm. that one that one really made me feel it 
Yeah. Can, I, what, uh, what did you think? Yeah. So like, the first time, I, like, so anyone that's like a regular listener to the show knows I'm a huge crybaby. Like when it comes to things that happen that are sad in video games. So if you're new, hi, that is something to know about me. Uh, as we play these sad video games, uh, it was. I was surprised that like I was made to care about a character in such little time because like this is like this is all about twenty minutes of a video game that this all happens in, and it was enough to get me to actually like cry and like sob like a character that I had known for much longer than that. Um, I feel like it's effective like it, like you said it because you play as her so like there is a lot of they have to make a lot uh, they have to you know do the most that they can with a very short amount of time, and I think like. They have, they've, given, they've shown you this uh, relationship she has with Joel. They've kind of given you a sense of who she was before this, the world went to shit. I feel like they they do effectively give you enough to mourn, like, the, the, who this character could have been, like, you know, the life that she maybe might have, you know, that she would have lived otherwise. Um, I think that is why it's effective. Like, I mean, there's not, I don't think there's anything, to, like, I don't think it's necessarily a negative thing to say that, like, it is a very manipulative 20 minutes. Like, it is all like, leading you directly to that moment to make you feel something when that happens. Usually, like, you know, to make death feel meaningful in a game, like, you have to have, like, a prior investment in a character that, like, usually does not happen in that short of time. And I think that's what's, that is what impresses me about it still, is that, like, through, the, you know, the dialogue, the acting, but also, like, the way that they let you interact with the world through her eyes and, like, see her, like, the, the, her world that was, like, her bedroom, and, like, see, like, get a sense of, like, she was a tomboy, she, like, she's snarky and, like, enough to be, like, have this banter with her father, like, that sounds even, like, kind of, like, wise beyond her years. So, almost, like, like, if that had been, like, a short film, I think it would have been very effective, like, just in that format as well, just because, like, this intro, I think, may, like, you know, it has, it has a lot to say about Joel, but I think it is ultimately about Sarah and... It's very effective. In, like, if, if that is all it set out to do, then, then I think it has absolutely nailed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, um, you know, there, as you noted in your notes, like, there, there are a lot of characters who die in video games. Like, that's, I don't even think, like, the idea of having a character die at the beginning of any piece of media is necessarily an original idea, like, Bambi did it. But, <laughs> um,. The ones that stick with us, the ones that are like Up and and The Last of Us, I think stick with us because they're able to communicate so much in such a, a short period of time. You, know, you think of Up and that's largely outside of their first meeting at the beginning of the whole intro sequence. Um, that story is told non-vocally, like it's right. it's mainly told through actions. And I think that's honestly what sells it more than anything is it it, it literally is like show don't tell. Um, we like, were able the fact that we had to intuit who these characters were and what their relationships were with each other draws us in and that gets you more attached to the relationship of these characters. And as we see it start to pull apart, I think that adds in like the way that the dread of this game starts to ramp up. I mean, it, it goes from literally like reading a newspaper article that something might be wrong in some part of the world to literally fleeing from infected people chasing you on foot through rural Texas, like literally running for your life. Like that's and it ramps it up so gradually is like it, it, it's giving you that feeling of this idyllic 
thing that you were introduced to at the beginning is being gradually torn away from you and how are you going to cope with it when it comes and when it does happen like it's it's still a shock and and this is also i think a good place to point out and i mentioned this in the prelude but like this is a game that i think was rightfully acknowledged as being this this watermark for prestige game making Mm -hmm. like and by prestige i mean like there is an emphasis placed on voice acting and on character expression and on just creating the same sort of drama that you would have from like in award season movie like it wants right i i i don't say this reductively but i do i do think it is like clear that the last of us wants to be a game that is like award worthy that it wants to be like a game that is going to draw emotions from you in the way that in oscar drama in during that season of movies wants to be that sort of thing um i think it's interesting because i feel like for a long time we didn't have that sort of thing in games we definitely had there are a lot of like great rpg stories that have that were happening decades before uh the last of us but this was the one that really felt like it learned a lot of lessons from just drama storytelling in general and how to Mm. do that stuff and you know this is we're now in the 3d age so we can think a little bit more in camera angles and motion capture and performance and it's not so much like yeah it's not so much writing and and set pieces and illustration but now it's like you're leaning more into filmmaking concepts as well and this this was the scene where i was really noticing that i was like this is this feels directed this feels like composed in a way that a film scene does and not necessarily a game scene always did so right um and then we hop into opening credits speaking of film <laughs> um i did like the that there is opening credits not just as as ken notes uh in our notes but like you know giving people credit for the work they did but they also use audio logs to kind of inform you like hey here's how it's how the spread of this infection is happening around the world and how it's affecting everyone we hear like los angeles goes under martial law and there's quarantine and here's i thought it was funny that you hear a newscaster say like the dead number in several hundred or something like that or like it was like a low number like a broadcaster says a low number and then you hear a sound bite like a vo sound bite from somebody on the scene and they're just like there's hundreds there's thousands out here oh my god and like it's it's immediately that sense of oh they like the world is not even like fully embracing how widespread this is becoming i'll, I'll bet and, you replaying like, that right now hits completely different oh oh that yeah that's, that's what i was building up to i was like i was sitting there thinking like oh this sounds way too familiar i don't like this <laughs> um yeah it hits a little different in 2021 um and and as we we jump into it's summer and it's 20 years later two two whole ass decades of joel becoming a hot hot dad well hot like a whole hot fat dad like me yeah you know that's that's why we brought you on <laughs> absolutely. You that hot dad experience absolutely absolutely uh I just want to. I just want to say, by the way. I just want to say, by the way. Uh, you know, twenty mm-hmm. twenty years later, 
2020. That's not a coincidence. Okay, this oh, was God, mm, no. this was faded. Nice. I need a drink. <laughs> Did the um, last of us predict the pandemic? <laughs> I just pictured like game theory on YouTube. <laughs> Let's plaster that up there right now. <laughs> Did, Did The Last of Us predict the pandemic? Neil Druckmann knew this was coming. Like and share. Mm. <laughs> Can't believe Neil did this to us. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so the, this is the part where we, we now meet Tess, who is who is Joel's new partner in crime. And as Ken notes, uh, there's, there's some hints of, of some other happenings going on there you know joel's joel's getting around a little bit but um i missed the part where because i was confused for most of this section because i thought we were still in texas for some reason i think i missed whatever part it was that tells you that you're in boston it is mm. they're actually there for packs. Um, they're that's that's yeah. why they're yeah. in boston okay. I, it, it, it's all just coming together like really well right now and i'm not i'm not a fan of all these coincidences it's it's really weird how even even in a post pandemic world, uh, packs still happening. No, <laughs> I mean I mean look, you know, I look at it this way. You know, the video game industry is one. It's it's the biggest entertainment industry in the world. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, people still got to play Call of Duty uh, mm-hmm. at the end of the world. In Last of Us Part know, Two, there's um, a girl playing Evita. Absolutely, absolutely. See, exactly. See, and she was she was probably in Boston for packs yeah. during the events of the first part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like see I like like Ken said there are a lot of parallels here, mm-hmm. a lot of coincidences that you can't ignore. Well, now we know exa- what the cost of keeping the Vita alive would have been <laughs> had that happened. <laughs> it's like that it makes me think of that that it makes me think of that Thanos meme where like, you know, what did it cost? What did it cost? <laughs> what did it cost? <laughs> the Vita Everything. is still a viable gaming system. What did it cost? <laughs> Um, <laughs> God, I mean that would that would be true. The entire video game industry would have had to collapse for the Vita to still be uh, relevant. But hey. you know what it means? It, it means life. Okay? It does mean it means life. life. Vita does mean life. Um, so Tess comes in. Uh, a deal has gone off well. They sold some pills. It sounds like she's a little bit injured, but uh, it's all good. Uh, some dudes got the drop on them, uh, who were sent by Robert. And here we, the least intimidating criminal name I've ever heard, ever. They're like, yeah, Robert. They, they, why don't they call him, like, Rob or, like, give him a nickname or something? Like, calling him the full name Robert, I was just like... Bob the Killer. That, that's not, know, that's like, not an intimidating name, you know? You gotta have that, like, mononym presence or you gotta have some sort of, like, you know, label, you know, like, Prop Joe and right. stuff like that. You can't just be Robert, like, and, and look, like, 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 you know, it, it's not really fair for me to say this. Like, for example, no offense to anybody named Eugene. I'm sure you're wonderful. But if somebody told me, uh, yeah, the, the uh, Eugene, the crime boss is pissed. I'd be like, oh, well, who cares? Okay. Eugene. Like, I mean, it, but right. Eustace, like, now we're talking <laughs> y- Eustace. <laughs> You're like, oh man, that dude's got such a normal name. He's got to do like he had to do something messed up to get to the top of that crime organization. <laughs> you don't want to mess with that guy. Um, yeah, but Robert, that makes it sound like he just wears like a button-up shirt to work every day. You know, like he he comes yeah, in. Robert, his khakis. Before the pandemic, he was uh, before the pandemic. He was a manager at the local Best Buy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, he managed Geek Squad. Um, he saw what was going down. <laughs> 
he was ready. Uh, <laughs> uh, so we got to go pay Robert a visit because some some dudes tried to jump Tess, and obviously uh, they uh, they did not come out of that altercation looking as good as Tess did, but. Tess is basically like, look, I know where Robert is. We got to go hit this guy because he's a problem for us. Um, and then we get into the most uh, early 2010s environmental storytelling area. Because we walk through. Yeah, we walk through this whole area where we're kind of hearing people talk about the things that are happening in the world. And there is graffiti written on the wall that is like you know kind of illustrating hey fireflies we're the the rebel group and all that and there's there's laura bailey for some reason in the most like my ears just immediately perked up because i knew that voice and i was like wait a minute that was that that wasn't a normal background npc voice that was a normally lead video game character voice that just talked um, it's, it's weird to hear because like she's got she had a few uh, like you know uh, ambient dialogue roles and i'm like that's weird to hear in this game. Mm-hmm. To be honest, as as fans will know, maybe appears later in another game in a more prominent role. So it's okay. Everyone, everyone is Laura Bailey in the pandemic. That's how it works. <laughs> I, I will say though, uh, comparatively speaking, uh, in terms of like writing stuff on the wall as like as storytelling, I feel like part two is gonna get a little bit better in that and kind of like there's more like art on the wall that carries like inherent meaning in the world instead of like let me literally write what the section is about on the wall for you and then like now they can just like have people look at stuff and like talk and be like what to talk about what this means or like write about like i have the journal that she writes in and uh sort of got like a little bit more elegant in the uh implementation rather than uh as uh unsubtle uh, subtle as a boot to the face as last of us part one mm-hmm. is yeah and i think the better environmental storytelling that happens here is we we pass this um this uh dilapidated area where some people are being hauled out of a place where they've been holding up uh and they're suspected of being infected so they're going one by one down the row Mm. um scanning them and when they get to i think it's the third person uh it registers infected and she starts yelling like no no, i'm not infected it's like scan it again it was a misread it was a false positive and then they they inject her with something and she dies like they they lethally inject her um on the spot and then as they're about to scan the fourth guy he panics and runs and they just shoot him um and i think that's interesting storytelling in and of itself because there's like a few things going on here we've got like okay people are having to live in decommissioned dangerous areas because they can't afford whatever housing is we've already got a sense of what an economy looks like in this post-pandemic world because uh they're using ration cards as as currency and things like that so it's reverted much more to like a barter system than any sort of like Mm. representative currency like modern money is um and then we we also see that like there are tests there are people that go around and perform these tests to test for infected obviously so there wouldn't be a breakout in one of these quarantine zones um and they they are so ready to handle the tests and handle potential infections on site and right away that they have like syringes of like lethal injection and i i feel like i i don't know how intentional that decision is to like use that instead of just shooting them right away but it does like for someone who has heard a lot of arguments in, in his time 
about like um whether the state should be allowed to kill or not and um like the use of lethal injection and stuff that was like a moment where i was like wow they have that and is that like considered some more humane way of putting infected people out than just shooting them on the spot and like this it just builds a lot of story like there you can see the semblances and like the bones of a society but you're also seeing the friction points between them and like how this is tearing apart and creating like problems within the world at, at large and how joel and tess are just kind of moving through it and by obviously we can intuit that they are doing some they're participating in illicit activities in some way Mm. uh they are managing to get by but the people who might not be doing that are actually struggling to get by right uh they're being forced into the this outside work as as they talk about um as laura bailey tells us (laughs) (laughs) um We eventually get to a point where uh, we're going to go through kind of a checkpoint to get to the part of the city where Robert is hiding out, and then the fireflies attack it, um, and so they lock up the checkpoint, and the dude guarding it is basically like, get out of here, get out of here, go away. Um, we learn how to use a med kit, and while we're doing that, uh, Tess is like, hey, um, we're going to use a different way to get there we're gonna have to go around outside because the fireflies are attacking no other checkpoint will let us through so we're gonna have to go through the old-fashioned way by going outside the quarantine zone and then back in Uh, also uh eric if you don't mind i just want to point out that finally after 20 years joel's like i i finally know how to use a med pack you know it's like after 20 years i finally figured it out it's you have to you have to hit up on the d-pad and then hold r2 it's the whole r2 that gets most people he's been Uh, wounded so many times during the during the post-apocalypse and you know man it took him so long to figure out how to do this it's a really great med kit what if this is the first time joel's actually been injured since he got shot when sarah died (laughs) what if he had to learn until the beard the beard protects him from all harm it It does it does um (laughs) yeah it's a great med kit too because uh no matter what injury it is, if you wrap it around your arm, fixes it right up. God, I got sh- I got shot in the sternum, and my uh, I'm leaking blood into my uh, into my lower intestines. Let me let me wrap my arm up here. Ah, that it's like it. um, people used to make that joke all the time about Far Cry Three because Far Cry Three had a similar like healing animation, where if no matter how you had gotten harmed, you just like bandaged one of your arms, and it would be like, okay, all good now. You've recovered health. You're good. And some people would joke like. By bandaging your arm, you can fix whatever. Well, yeah, uh, no, it's the same thing with Resident Evil 7. You know, oh, I took a chainsaw yes. out of the gut. I'll just yeah. pour some liquid on my hand. It'll be all right. Pour the magic healing liquid on my arm, and I'm fine. Uh, that's that's where it gets in. It has to get in the pores, you know, so. Um, we, we go through our sick secret tunnel. Hell yeah. Love secret tunnels. Uh, which I thought was also strange because they do address that uh, when they talk to the guy who's guarding the secret tunnel that, that Tess and, and Jill go through, he mentions that there's not been many people through there, either, like, people or infected. But that did make me think, like, they have to have somebody watching that tunnel all the time because what are the odds that infected eventually, like, find their way mm. to where that tunnel entrance is and stuff like that? Um, no. Who, who knows? But uh, we head down there. 
their their packs are there so we get our our guns and our backpacks and all that kind of stuff we have our um our, our weapons so we finally have a gun in this game which feels real weird um and i guess now might be a good time to just kind of talk about how this game feels because i can't tell if i like or hate the way this game controls <laughs> well, I think... part, parts of it feel very deliberate parts of it are definitely like almost red dead redemption 2 and like we are trying to make you feel like you're controlling a person and not just some saints row 4 superhero or whatever um and so i appreciate those parts of it but there are weird things it does that feel almost like vaguely resident evilly like early resident evilly like having it like it takes a long time to turn your character but you can also do a quick turn where they just kind of mm. spin on a dime and that that to me was like that's very video gamey why would you have that as a thing like it takes a long time for you to turn around but you can also just like zip <laughs> really fast around if you want um and other like the fact that you reload the gun by hitting the fire button but you have to not be aiming and other yeah. things like that just feel very like, I was hitting square to reload for so long. I know right. that, like, not every video game should adhere to universal game controls. But there are parts of this game, I think, even with, like, placing stuff with triangle and all that. Like, there were definitely a few times in this section where we're traversing through the outside. And we're having to, like, pick up a ladder and place it to climb up to a new place. Which is, from what I understand, going to be a common mechanic throughout the game. Mm-hmm. Um where i'd be like okay time to place the ladder and joel just like puts it on the ground and i'm like no joel you're supposed to put it against the wall i'm standing in front of you dick um and i was just hitting moments like that where i was like i this this game feels old and when, when you actually get into combat and stuff there's like a weird thing that like nani dog like almost playing by its own rules in terms of like control like control schemes because like the reloading with like pressing r2 uh and like as long as you're not aiming it's like an uncharted thing so like by the time that i got to the last of us that wasn't a surprise to me because i played all the other games mm-hmm. before then um so like yeah like, like i said there's, there's a tendency for not to like play in its own rules when it comes to control schemes but it also does not mean that it, like it is the quickest thing to like in terms of like adapting to the weird ways in which they map these like seemingly simple concepts to like buttons they're not usually matched to or like prompts they're not normally like yeah it's, it's a thing mm-hmm. well i do I, I do think i you know i i do think that some of this is simply because i don't feel that naughty and like you know as far as and they are that this is not meant as a dig against them they are an incredibly talented studio but i don't feel like they truly mastered third person shooting until uncharted 4 Mm-hmm. Um. So, so I, 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 I do think that some of this, like obviously, like you know, Joel Miller is not a, is not like a essentially a a superhero like Nathan Drake. Like Nathan can, you know, he's climbing up mountains and you know leaping across chasms, and and Joel can't do any. Joel can't do any of that. And and so I feel like s- some of this is them really trying to to ground this in reality. Mm-hmm. It takes a long time to fumble around and reload your weapon. You know, it's you know, like you know, yeah, you're it's, you know, aiming is aiming sucks. Aiming with a weapon sucks. You know, um, you know, my hands are shaking. You know, like, but at the same time, I do feel like some of this just boils down to the fact that I I, I don't think that they had 
I, I, I don't think that they had mastered, you know, uh, complete... Like, I feel like they were trying too hard to be Resident Evil 4 or 5. Yeah. Uh, yeah in, in terms of like gameplay Resident style. Yeah, with without really understanding the nuances of what made shooting in that game feel as good as it did. Yeah, and, and like, as we go through, there's, like, an entire section here that spans all the way from this initial leaving the area all the way up to um getting into like robert's base and sneaking up on them and and like we have an infected area where it kind of teaches us like hey here's how you deal with infected uh versus here's how you deal with humans and stealthing around and here's a bottle you can throw to distract people and here's a shiv you can use to instantly kill people that you've grabbed versus like strangling them which takes longer um and like it's it's kind of throwing all these concepts at you and gradually building it up and i think the general idea is like you're supposed to feel this tension between do i do stealth which will make combat easier i won't have to like deal with as many people shooting because it's like i i did have one segment where i accidentally alerted people and just got blown up and just mm-hmm. got taken out and like um that that was definitely very important versus like you know trying to just just brute force your way through you have to use some stealth but i don't know that the stealth feels good either i mean so i've seen I, stealth gameplay of last of us part two and i feel like that is more what i want it to be right. because i think like you like like john said this one tries to be like resident evil 4 and so the parts where you do stealth feel very limited and mm. like you know it's like okay now throw the bottle to distract one of the guards while you grab the other guard and take them out and you don't have a ton of tools for like disposing of bodies or moving around the environments or like you have shivs but that's really about it in terms of like quick kills and stuff and i just um, want to say joel joel sucks at making shivs like his shivs yeah. are terrible they fall apart after like three uses it's like yeah. come on man learn learn how to make a shiv and and I also want to say that uh, talking about Joel, like when you mentioned Joel, sne- like you know Joel sneaking for whatever reason, I don't know why, but suddenly I heard um, I heard David Hayter say, "Ellie, I'm trying to sneak around." That's so. That's what but I was my, building but my up. Beard to. is dummy thick. <laughs> the clap the sound of, of my, my beard cheeks <laughs> keeps alerting the clickers. <laughs> like you know. Um, well, that's that's what I was going to say. Is I feel like last like you can almost tell when metal gear solid 5 came out because i feel like from what i've seen of the last of us part 2 of gameplay and stuff feels like somebody on that team played metal gear solid 5 and was like oh hey this is like good good solid stealth gameplay let's use some of this to make last of us part 2 feel better in stealth mode like mm. let's have you be like have more movement options have abilities that are meant for you to take things out stealthily from multiple ranges like ellie obviously has the bow and stuff like that whereas in this game like joel just kind of has melee ways of taking people out um i don't we know if that changes later. as the game yeah, goes on we'll get okay. later. um but yeah and maybe again this is because it's still very early on it's just giving you like very basic things like i know you will eventually be able to craft things that you can use to do stuff in this game um and I do have the benefit of having played Tomb Raider, so I know like some of the mechanics in that game. I I'm assuming transfer over in terms of crafting little tools to use mm-hmm. on the fly and stuff like that. But um, 
yeah early on the stealth was not really hitting for me and i, I feel say, just to like be the contrarian here i really love the last of us stealth compared to a lot of games like look before this my experience with stealth was like things like Dishonor or Thief, which are you know, first person, and like my sense of space is not great for those anyway, so that was like its whole own problem, but then there's stuff like Metal Gear and Splinter Cell, which I had played to varying degrees over the years. Mm-hmm. Like, I played like a little bit of Metal Gear Solid 1 by this point, but like not even like anything worth, like not even like enough to say that I played that game, but I also played, I, fared, I played a fair bit of Splinter Cell, but that would have been like around my middle school time, and like, there there are like heavier systems on in those games in terms of like stealth, and they're a little bit more obtuse, where Blast was just always felt like relatively more accessible when it mm, came to stealth, and that, that is what it's kind it of been. A... That is what made it just like an easier thing for me to uh, wrap my head around and get really good at. I think like relative to those games, because like I, I do generally kind of like spec in the direction of stealth for these games, and uh, yeah, I, I take it a lot to be honest. I, I, I there are like I can already feel like the tension of like me remembering things from part two and like almost having like a muscle memory as how some mm. things should work, and it's just not there when I'm playing this game. So, that is there, like, I, I will say part two is, like, you know, the infinitely superior game when it comes to that. Uh, but, as, like, a foundational thing, I, I dig the stealth of the last of us a lot. We'll see, we'll see. Maybe it gets better for me. Um, but we we get through this whole area, we finally catch up with Robert after a, a chase scene, and we confront him. He's got guns that we want, um... And he says he sold them already to the Fireflies. Um, so obviously we're like, great, that sucks. And Tess just straight up kills Robert. So that's the end of infamous crime lord Robert, his <laughs> reign over Boston. Now there's a power vacuum and who knows what will come next. But um, we, we get into a situation where we're like, okay, well, we want those guns. We got to get them. How do we get them? And then suddenly, Marlene shows up just in time. Marlene is the leader of the Fireflies. Um, she's a little injured, and she came looking for Robert. Uh, she says she needed him alive because she had a deal with him to smuggle something out of the city. And basically says, hey, I'm not going to give you your guns back. We paid for them fair and square, even if they weren't Robert's to sell. But... Um, Boy, I just had a suddenly real a sudden realization that Robert is basically Adam Sandler's character from Uncut Gems, <laughs> and that's oh, uh, but yeah. Now I'm just thinking about that all day. <laughs> but uh, Marlene says, if you want to earn those guns back plus a little bit extra, you can do the job that I need done. We need something smuggled out of the city. Um, we go through a little walking segment where. Marlene is kind of telling us about the fireflies, and that's also where we learned that Tommy was was formerly mm. a firefly. Um, that Tommy and Marlene have some history, and as we get to the place where uh, we kill some more soldiers and and you know do some stealthing and all that kind of stuff, and we finally get to the place where Marlene has what we're going to smuggle out of the city, we find out it is a person. It's Ellie. Uh, who comes at us with a knife drawn <laughs> right away um and we uh we immediately see that these two know each other well uh, marlene says that uh we're going to smuggle ellie out of the city into the capitol building which is pretty far away um the guns are in the firefly camp uh tess doesn't want to 
like do this without seeing the guns so uh tess takes off with marlene to go to the firefly camp to verify that while marlene says basically like she knew tommy she was familiar with tommy um and tommy had told her that if ever she was in deep trouble joel would help her out joel is reliable um kind of seems like joel and tommy ain't talking so much these days but maybe we'll learn more about that as the video game goes on um and so as tess and marlene take off for the camp ellie accompanies joel to a meetup place and that is the end of our first episode joel and ellie finally together at last um they're super jazzed about it super excited to be working with each other they definitely seem like they're going to meld uh yeah i foresee i i foresee a very very uh easygoing working relationship for sure absolutely definitely not gonna have to unpack 20 years of trauma i guess so to to cap it off like um starting with ken like what did you kind of think about going back to this segment after all this time how do you think it's aged it's 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 hard not to start this game with like a kind of for, for a lot of reasons like the game feels like complicated like weighty and complicated in like a way that especially like after you've played through the whole series and also just existed within the discourse of the last of us as an entity uh it does feel complicated like go to almost to a point where it was relatively simple like mm-hmm. uh but also to see ways that i like it it is what sticks out to me right now is that how coherent the whole thing is in terms of like a really like settling on an idea and kind of like extrapolating it in a way that is open to like interpretation not in terms of like the facts of what happened but like sort of like how your perception of it is maybe like like we had, like when we had John today like how his fatherhood uh, informs the way that he's able to relate or distinctly not relate to these characters in a way that I think is an interesting intention. It, for a lot of reasons that we're going to unpack. I know we were pressed for time, so I'm kind of, like, trying to conc- hmm. concisely say this all at once, but, like, I I am interested to get, like, talk about this game with as many people as we're going to have on the season with all the different perspectives and unpack all of the nuance that is actually, uh, that is here. And I'm very excited about that. Yeah, um, like, like, wrapping thoughts from me, John, like, going back to this intro again you know it's been a long time since the first last of us came out i was wondering how you thought it's held up over the years it's kind of like one of the most i think even still recognizable like game moments of that generation Mm. so i i will i mo i i agree with everything ken said i'll i'll add this um from a narrative like the idea, because while Ken was talking, I imagined myself sitting down and going back to replay this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which I'm sure I'll do at some point. Um, from a narrative and writing and believability standpoint, I think this game does. I think this game does it better than most games I've played in uh, in the you know from last gen. Mm. Um, I think I think all those elements hold up today perfectly. The the rest of the game, from a gameplay standpoint, I imagine at this point would probably be difficult to get through. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, simply because uh, you know little things. You know, like um, you know the the shooting mechanics not really being all that great. The stealth mechanics being pretty video gamey. Um, the the little quirks, like you know, 
your AA partner getting up and running among a crowd of clickers and, and infected with nothing happening. Um, you know, all that stuff kind of takes you out of the moment. And I understand that, you know, these are all video game things and we are, you know, video games are generally bound by the technology uh, of their time. Um, I, 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 I imagine that playing it now... I would have uh, far more like these were all things I could forgive back in you know 2013 mm. right because because the, like, the core game itself was so good but mm. having played games that just do gameplay mechanics better than the Last of Us did since then I think those I think those little those little foibles might be harder to forgive this time around. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's that's kind of where I'm at, at with it. Um, having not played a ton of it originally. Um, I'm definitely feeling some of the age, but the parts that it does well definitely stand out. And and I'm I'm still looking for, like I mentioned in our, our little prelude, like those those little moments, um, like they had in the intro. Like again, I think the intro is just so well crafted; it's extremely well done. Once we got into the stuff with Joel and Tess, I wasn't feeling it as much. There wasn't; it, it felt a little bit more like you know not to be reductive but like felt more like a video game you know i was like okay this is this is par for the course for what i'm expecting um so i'm i'm waiting to see more of that come up hopefully we will see more uh that's gonna be it for this episode next week we'll be covering delivery which uh can remind me like you know we don't have discrete stop gaps for some of these but that runs up to about where in the story uh when this three-person trip becomes a two-person trip gotcha okay i know exactly which moment you're talking about now uh, yes so there is a pivotal moment that will happen coming up soon that we will uh go up to that point uh that will be our next episode also our rollout might be a little bit weird uh we're thinking about putting this episode up a little bit early for our patrons just because we are still, as of this recording, like taking a mild break. And so there's going to be a little bit of a disjointed rollout for those of you who are listening uh, freely. But for the patrons, there it might be different. Just, you know, if you are a patron, stay tuned to our Discord and to our feed. And you will be able to follow all of that. Uh, for those of you who are listening at home, it should be the same weekly rollout as always, uh, from, yeah. from what I am understanding. Yeah. Um, if you want to back us, if you want to be a patron, you can head over to patreon.com slash normandyfm, back us there. Any level will get you into the Patreon Discord, where we hang out, we talk about all things Mass Effect, Dragon Age, and now Last of Us, uh, and we have a good time doing it. And if you back at a certain level, you will get the episodes early, once Ken is done editing them, and if you get to the highest level, you get your name shout out every week on the podcast. This week, that list is Kevin Kulikowski, Chris Johns, Alice Hawk, Colin, Just Colin, Just, Zach Mickle, The Wedge of Destiny, and Mila Hyde. And Zach James, who became a patron while I was editing this episode. Thank you all so much for backing, and we are so excited to get this rolling. We've got even more stuff planned for this Last of Us season. Before we bounce... John, where can the folks at home find your work and keep up to date with you? 
Oh, I wouldn't recommend that. Please don't. <laughs> I, no, you can find me. Uh, you can find me on Twitter uh, at GameDadJP. Um, you can find. I would rather you go follow uh, at official SDGC, which is our mm-hmm. official podcast uh, Twitter account. We go live every Thursday night at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Twitch.tv/officialSDGC. Um, I infrequently. Uh, write an article or two for a, a website here, but that's a hobby. Like you know, mm. people say, "Oh, just yeah, I'm not I'm not a games journal. I'm not a journalist. Mm. Um, I just this is a hobby for me." Uh, and uh, yeah, no, that you can find me spouting off uh, really really good opinions on Twitter that everybody agrees with mm. all the time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Love to hear never it. never had a bad take. We're uh, we're gonna discuss I, absolutely not. We're gonna have to spend some time discussing your Fallout New Vegas take at some point. Uh, it's oh, that's that, oh oh you talking about that really good take I had? Yeah, no, that's, oh. that, we can do that absolutely. That one Ab- that aged me that, years. Dude, that's why I call myself. That's why I call myself Papa Good Takes, man. There's there's there was a piece of my life that that left that day. Oh. <laughs> I didn't say it would be easy. I just said it'd be the truth, man. Oh. Well, for John, for Ken, for myself, thank you all for listening. Thank you so much to John for coming on. We will see you next time on Normandy FM.